The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. <laughs> okay, so here we go. We're going to continue talking in our study on the glory of God today. Um, and with respect to the church, remember our larger study is on some different issues and things about the church. We talked about the role of women in ministry and we spent a few weeks at that. And now we're, uh, and this probably should have been the first study in there when I was putting this together. It's sometimes, I don't know if you, you ever worked on something and you start and you do it a certain way and after a while you've been doing it, then your mind clicks. The logical order would have been to do this the other way, but it didn't occur to you all at the, at the outset uh, and things change. But anyway, we're talking about the glory of God with respect to the church. The, probably the most important verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, maybe it's 31. I, I should know that. It's one of those verses you should have in your back pocket. But it says, whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you should do all to the glory of God. This should be kind of like one of the watchwords for the way that we live our Christian life. And we're talking about glory. We're talking about God's... God's... His reputation, His weight, His significance. That's, that's His word for glory. It's His weight. It's His significance. Okay? And so this is what we've been talking about. And we've been looking at different texts that address aspects of the glory of God. With regard to the church, we're going to go today to 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, um, when you get to 1 Peter, first turn to chapter 1 and just remind ourselves of this here in 1 Peter 1. That he tells us in verses 1 and 2, 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are aliens. They're, they're living someplace that's not their home. They're scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and, and uh, and who are then chosen. They're, they're chosen. The significance of that is you're an alien to those people. You're somebody, you're living somewhere that's not your home, but you are chosen or special to God. That's the significance of this idea saying to those who are elect strangers. You're, you're, it's weird. To, could you imagine like, like we have all these uh, um, H-2A workers that come, out, come up from Mexico and they're working and they come into town on buses things like that. And you don't, we don't necessarily look at them as like, they're special. They're workers. That's the way people are. Peggy's uncle was a, uh, a plumber's welder or a plumber for years in HVAC. And he, they traveled around and they went to different big construction sites. And they were there with all these other hundreds of workers that showed up in their campers and parked their campers there and would work for a year on a big construction site. They were just workers. They weren't special. See, just trying to give you a perspective on this idea that these people are scattered, living someplace that's not their home. But he says you're chosen from, God, from God's point of view. You're chosen. The world doesn't look at you as chosen, but God does. And that's the only thing that counts in the end of this. So that's who they are. They're these chosen people that are scattered, living someplace that is not their home. Now we go over to chapter 4. And we've already been over in 1 Peter 4 back a few weeks ago, looking at how to respond to pressure, to adversity, to persecution. And we've looked at that, some different things about your conduct, the way you live in such a way that you shut the mouths of those people, not by, as Jim was saying this morning, not by protestation. No, 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 I'm innocent. No, I'm innocent. Let me give you my case. No. You just live the life. You just live the life the way God wants you to live the life in front of them. And Paul or Peter tells you, it, that conduct will shut their mouths. It'll silence them. And I think that's, that's important. Uh, in fact, some of you probably know the, the statement that says, I think he doth, this is old, old Elizabethan English, I think he doth protest too much. Meaning, sometimes the more you protest in regard to your innocence, the more guilty you look. I don't know if any of you ever think about that, but the more you stand there and go, I'm innocent, actually the more people go, oh, they're guilty. <laughs> anyway, 
And so we've already seen that. But now today what I want to look at is I want to look at the relationship to each other that Peter's going to bring out here in this context as he's talking to these people. Now, one of the problems that's happened because of the persecution is some of these people, and it's going to be obvious from the text we're into today, that some of these people have stopped doing what they should. They're not serving and ministering other believers. Pressure, persecution, hardship just makes it easier for us to sit on our hands and hide out. I think Josh used that expression many years ago when he was going through 1 Peter, that a lot of these Christians are keeping their heads down and they're trying to hide out because they don't want to be the brunt of this attack. So here in 1 Peter chapter 4 today is where we're going to put in. And we're going to go down here as Peter identifies some of their needs uh, that these people have. And we're going to put in at verse 7. 1 Peter 4 and verse 7. And I'm going to read through this text and then we'll kind of go back and we'll look at some things related to it. And the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be of sound judgment, sober, for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a gift. Use it or employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold or multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks as it were the utterances or the small words of God. Whoever serves as it is with the strength with God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now I want to hit something at the end of this that I didn't put in the outline here, but my wife asked me this question about another text that she was looking at. And it's that end statement that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to go over to 1 Corinthians, we looked at this a little bit ago, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it gives us the relationship of the three persons of the Godhead to your spiritual gift. The Spirit's the one that chose your gift. Jesus Christ is the Lord, so he's the one that's directing the activity of the gift. When you actually use your gift, the Father is the one personally in working in you for what you need for that gift to be worked out. But it's that second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head of the body. So when there are believers that have a need, the Lord is actually going to be directing for Stan to exercise his gift on behalf of one other person or whoever, whatever people God is putting in his path at that moment in time. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the body, he's the one that's directing that activity. And so that's what he is getting at at the end here of verse 11. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's directing those. The thing is, you need to keep in mind, even though he's directing and he's saying, you need to go minister this gift. There's a person there. You need to go serve that gift in that person. Sometimes we're, we're, we're kind of like what we had, what, what Jim went over with us today over there in um, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Sometimes we're standing there going, no, no. And then Jim went through there. You say no to him. Guess what? There's going to be a time that he say no to you. You're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and it's like, you had an opportunity to win a crown for this work, but you didn't want to do it. You didn't want to exercise your gift for the benefit of this other person. There's not, there's not a reward. And we have statements that tell that. In fact, one of the verses I wrote down, I didn't want to interrupt Jim's class. I sometimes do that too much as it is. But in 2 John 8, I was just looking at this verse a couple weeks ago. And in 2 John 8, he says, because of the influence of some false teachers in their church, he says, you got to watch. you got to watch yourselves so that you receive a full reward so that you get what you've worked for. In other words, it's possible to become so derailed by false teaching that you don't end up actually using your gift the way it's supposed to. And there's the potential that God's given you to, to get this reward for what you've done, but you might not actually get that reward because you don't serve, because you get distracted by false teacher that gets you messed up in the way you're thinking. Anyway, so let's go back up to verse 7 and let's kind of walk through some of these other things in here. 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is at hand. You and I, I think most believers have some sense of this, but you and I especially, because in our church, we believe in the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture 
of the church or the return of Christ for the church. Not the return of Christ, but the return of Christ for the church. And because we believe that, we ought to always be looking at this world out here and we have these fires. I'm not making light of those fires right now, but those fires are one of the things that are always reminding me. Everything you invest your life in down here outside of at serving other believers is all very temporary and it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. I don't know how to tell Ben and Josh that, but that beautiful lace hardware down there that I love to walk into, it's going to burn one day. <laughs> and not because of arson or anything like that. It's because in the final judgment, all of this goes up. So when the world builds monuments to itself and you've got great men that build, they have monuments that they erect to themselves. Uh, if you, I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but you go to the part of the university district north of Seattle and there's a nice cream place that Peg and I wanted to go to several years ago. And you know what they got standing down in the street corner? They have a statue that they imported from Russia because it was taken down by the Russians over there and these guys wanted it and it's Lenin standing there, you know, being... because. I'm sorry, because those guys are probably all communists over there and they love the guy. <laughs> Whereas the Russians over there are like, we're fed up with this. We haven't done this too long. Anyway, sorry to get political. But the thing is, people erect monuments like that. Guess what? Those monuments to themselves, the Washington Monument out there, all that, all that stuff goes. It all's gone. And so the end of all things is near. And that's a, that's a, a, part, of a part of our mindset that we ought to have that whatever we're doing in life, Going back to our, our chief statement for the glory of God, all that we do, whatever it is, whatever we eat or drink or whatever we do, it ought to all be done to the glory of God. And so he says here, the end of all things is near, it's at hand. That word, and the reason, you know, they have that expression at hand. And I used to translate it near because the word at goose in Greek can mean near, but you know what, if you go back and actually look what the word in goose means, it means you can reach it with your hand. Literally, that's the meaning of the word. That's why our King James translated at hand and the American Standard is. It's that close. I don't have to get up and walk across the room. I can just reach it right there on the table next to me. It, and that's his point is, it's that close. Do you live with that mindset that all of this stuff, it's that close, the end of it all? And so keeping that in mind, therefore, in light of the fact that it's all just about done, Therefore, be of sound judgment. And that word for sound judgment is the word to have a saved frame of mind. Your, your frame of mind, the way you frame it and, and you look at life, the lens through which you're viewing all this other stuff, ought to involve your salvation. It is how, how often do we look at the events of everyday life and what we end up doing is we look at it in terms of uh, what's it going to cost me? Maybe, maybe in time, maybe in terms of my energies, but maybe financially. Instead of looking at it and, and saying, how does this fit with regard to the salvation God's given me? That ought to be the top thing by which we weigh a thing. Not by how much. I've had times in my life where I have made decisions because I'm, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to pay for that. I don't want to spend hard-earned money on this thing, this event, only to have then, unbeknownst to somebody else, somebody providing money, not even knowing that I was saying no to this thing, and my wife kindly reminding me, that was just to remind you that you should have not made your decision based on how much it was going to cost, but on whether or not it was God's will. And I've had a few of those, and you've heard those stories before. So you have a, this saved frame of mind. That ought to be prior, the prime thing. You look at the fact all of this is going to be gone, the end of all this, and we're going to be with the Lord. You ought to be framing your mind with your salvation with regard to that. Second of all, sober. Does he mean not drunk? Sure he means not drunk. Because when you're going through hardship and pressures, there's a lot of people that find, well, you know, uh, there's a way that people numb themselves against those pressures. But I believe that that sobriety there doesn't have to be limited to just not drunk with alcohol or, or blinded with drugs. There's also the very good possibility that that sobriety is just having a sober view of what the world is. We can allow the pressures of the world to so numb the way we think and view the world that we just don't think clearly. 
We're just so bogged down, weighed down with all of these things. And uh, I don't know how many of you ever did this. You probably were smarter than me. Um, but there were times when the pandemic was going on back towards the beginning and boy, you just didn't, I could sit and I could waste so much time on YouTube listening to this person, tell me what they thought about this. And then this person, tell me what they thought. And we're, we're, we weren't talking about just guys like me giving their opinion. We were talking about medical doctors. I'm, I'm looking for medical doctors that actually have degrees in infectious disease and listening to them. And I'm getting all this information. Why? Why? Why did I need to do that? My life has been, is, and always will be in the Lord's hands. And unless I go out there and decide I'm going to do something that is plainly outside of the will of God for me, and it's going to dramatically impact or impact other believers negatively, I'm going to live to that point that God's determined for me to go. And I even think that along the way, not always by chastening, that sometimes it's God's will for us to get sick. I think, anyway, I could get chased down the thing that happened recently, but you don't need to hear that. Anyway, so, and that wasn't a chastening thing. So not every time that we get sick is a chastening, right? We all know that. So, the, so sobriety, mental sobriety. Like I said, does it involve not getting drunk on alcohol or drugs and things? Yeah, sure. But I think we can be drunk with current events. As, a, as just as one example he says for the purpose then of prayer or worship how do you focus on the character of God how do you worship God when your mind is cloudy with all the stuff in the world and you can't hardly think because uh, or because you're literally physically drunk because you've taken too much alcohol or you've been doing drugs or something like that how how can you actually think about the character of God? That's, and he says that. It's unto worship. So, he's, so what's he getting at the beginning here? He says, have, a, have an attitude that thinks about your salvation as you look forward to this. Number, number two, he says there, be sober, but the sober, sobriety is for worship. You want to be worshiping God because one of the things you need to do as you're looking at all this, you need to be thinking about the character of God. Who is God in the midst of all of these things? You know, like um, I still remember, still remember many years ago, a, a good friend of mine speaking here at the church, and he was talking about how we get so wound up in life, and he goes, "Oh my, the baby! Oh my goodness, this! Oh my, oh my, oh!" And we're always, and it's so. And, and he pointed out, it's like, "Oh my!" It's always the emphasis on my is always me, 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 and he says, "Boy." We ought to be, oh God, what are you doing? And he's saying that in a good way, not as a cuss word. A lot of people go, oh God, that's a cuss word. Okay, it's not like that. It's like, oh God, what do, you, what, what do you want from me? What do you want me to learn about your character in this thing? Paying attention to this. And so he goes on from there. And above all now, on top of all this, or before all of these things, have fervent love. Now, the word that's translated fervent here is a word literally meaning to extend oneself or to extend something, to stretch something out. Remember that the, the end of all things is near. It's at hand. You can just reach it right here. But he says when it comes to love, you know what you got to do? You got to sometimes extend yourself. Love isn't always convenient. Right? Those of you here that are married, you know, if loving your, if, let's put it this way. If, if the love that made your spouse absolutely happy all the time was always just the easy stuff, we'd all have just absolutely perfect, wonderful marriages. <laughs> but it's that the fact that, and I always think this as a husband, that sometimes in loving your wife, you have to extend yourself beyond what is convenient or easy or just likable to you. I mean, sometimes your spouse wants or is interested in something you're not particularly interested in. You know, I've, I've told you this before. My wife loves the ocean and the beach. I could take it or leave it. But you know what? I love the ocean and the beach because my wife loves the ocean and the beach. And by extending myself to do that, I like to go there because she likes to go there. I get excited about going there because I know it's a place she likes. But if you were, if, if I were a bachelor, you know what? I'd probably drive up to the beach, sit in the car, look at it, go, yep, there it is. Okay, now let's go do something. <laughs> That's just me. 
I'd be good with that. So we extend ourselves. I'm just using an example. We extend ourselves. And I think that that's important because when you're under adversity and persecution, you also are going to find out that you're going to have to stretch yourself out, extend yourself to love other believers. And obviously he's using here agape love, which... Um, this was a point of conversation that I've been having with some other people, uh, some people that you don't know, that they always say agape love is God's kind of love. And I'm like, it is, but it only is a God's kind of love, the word for God's kind of love, because Jesus Christ redefined agape. Right? That's the only reason. Because that word agape, do you know what it's used of in the Gospels? It's used of people that were important, that loved the important seats at banquets. Is that God's kind of love? Loving the, the, no. So it just shows you in their culture, it was just one of the words they used for love. But Jesus Christ comes along and he says, I'm going to take that word and I'm going to elevate that. Because I want you now to love as I've loved you. So we have come to understand agape as God's kind of love. He says that kind of love, which is sacrificial, it looks out for what is best. It's not, it's not always sacrificial, but sacrificial is often part of what happens in that. It means that we stretch ourselves out. And this is what you do for one another. So he says, keep that fervent love for one another. It's convenient. No, not always. <laughs> the Spirit provides you the love, but what that love may have you do might cause you to have to stretch yourself beyond what you would normally find easy or convenient. Everybody got that? Gets that, I should say. So, the next thing that he goes with the end of that then is, and love covers a multitude of sins. Now, there's two ways of looking at that idea. There are some people that think love covers a multitude of sins because I love you, I just look over you, I overlook your faults. You're good. You're good. Right, guys? When our wives come out, and they walk into the other room and their hair's like this because they haven't done anything with it yet and they're kind of tired like this. We don't look at them. Honey, go comb your hair and fix your face. And, oh, we don't do that. We're loving them. We don't care. Sorry, that, that's not a sin, obviously, doing that. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Did you say that, sweetie? <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're, anyway, the point is, is overlooking a fault or overlooking a sin is not what Peter's talking about here. What Peter, I believe, is talking about is love covers a multitude of sins because love acts. Turn with me over to, keep your finger here, but turn over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James chapter Let's go back up to verse 19, James chapter 5, verse 19. My brothers, if any among you strays or goes, goes uh, into an air away from the truth and somebody turns him around, so your, English, your old English Bible said converts, but just you're turning him around, know that the one that is turning the sinner out of the errors of ways saves his soul out of death and he hides look at that word he hides he what was that word that we had over there in first peter 4 it um i have to make sure I look it's the same word calupto that's that word there he covers a multitude of sins right there he tells you how it covers a multitude of sins multitude of sins now let me ask you a question how many of you, when you see another brother or sister in Christ and they are doing something that you know is wrong, it's not your opinion that it's wrong, you know it's wrong. You know it's not the will of God. In fact, you know that it's sin even. How many of you like to say, ha ha, I gotta go correct that believer. Let's jump in the car and run over there. I've got to talk to you about your Christian life. How many of you like to do that? I do not like confrontation. I hate confrontation. And I hate to have to call anybody on the floor. I've had people do it with me. And I can guarantee you when I'm the object of it, my first response is, what, what, what? 
I may not actually go, what? But inside, I'm going, what? And you're kind of put off when somebody has to talk to you about what you're doing. But Peter and James are both telling you, but you know what? That act, that act, Peter looks at it as an act that you can do from love for a brother. James is looking at it and he says, you realize that you're actually turning that soul away from death? Because when that believer starts operating outside the will of God, according to Romans 8, they're actually operating in the realm of their flesh. And when you operate in the realm of the flesh, when you have a mindset of the flesh and you're operating in the realm of your flesh, he says you're operating in the realm of death. You are about to die. Meaning you're operating in the sphere of death, but there's the very real potential that you might be chasing to death. In other words, you might, in the potential of God's, will, God's plan for you, you might go home early. So you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ are called here to do something stretching yourself out in something that is uncomfortable, talking to another believer about their need to think differently and live differently. And it, yeah, it is, it is a thing that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to confront. But you know what? You can look at it. Let's put it this way. I've got a grandson. We were over there a couple weeks ago. They have to lock their front door because they have those handles that you pull down like this. And he can grab those so easily, yank that door open, and I, he doesn't care if he's got feet. They've got one of those walks that's rocky, and he goes out there in his bare feet, and he runs on that stuff. I do that, I'm like, ouch, 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 ouch. He's tearing off like crazy, and he turns down the driveway, and he's headed for the street. And I could go, oh, I love him. I don't want to spoil his fun. But when he gets to the end of the driveway, you know what he does? He tears out into the street. I don't care. I, he got paddled like three times that evening running out there into the street because guess what? I, I want him to learn that that's not a good place to go. But you could go, oh, I love my grandson so much. I can't do anything mean to him. So fine, let him run in the street. A car will feel much better if it hits him than just getting swatted by grandpa. <laughs> guess what? I have to add another detail to there. Grandpa's laughing watching him run there, and I had to be, I had to have a wife extend herself in love and say, go after him. Don't just let him run down the driveway. See, so I actually got a little bit of little bit of charge and encouragement from, from my wife that loved me, but she was loving her grandson by doing that anyway. So there's like two of those back to back, right in that same episode. But this is an example of this. We could go over to the first verse of Galatians chapter six where he says, if you're spiritual, you restore one that's caught in a trespass even. You go do that. You get their mind, you encourage them to help them get their mind back where it should be on who they are in Christ. So, go back over here to 1 Peter chapter 4, and he says that this love covers a multitude of sins, and then he says in verse 9, and be hospitable to one another without complaint. And that word complaint is the same word that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. He says, you, you be hospitable and don't grumble. You guys may be better at this than I am, but I kind of, I kind of get in a, a, a way of life where this is the way things work. This is the way I live. This is what I do at, at 7 o'clock. This is what I do at 8 o'clock and so on and so forth. And then you have family come in. I have my sister and her husband and my parents come in. And you're like, and so then you're like, and then you're doing things like, no, dad, we don't, we don't put that there. We put it over here. No, dad, we don't eat. No, I, and, and it's like I can get really wound up because that's not the way we do it here. Do you know what? I go to other people's house and they're not always, I probably do stuff that they, that's like, well, we don't do that here, but they're not telling me that. They're just being nice. And I had to remind myself, and it was really interesting because this is the passage we were going over that this was on my mind frequently. You do it without grumbling. You show hospitality. You invite people into your home and guess what? Things are going to go different than the way you do it. And you might sometimes go, you know, I don't know. I'm not asking for anybody to raise their hands, but have you ever had company come to your house and when they leave you like, what are they in their house? Animals? Good grief. You know, this is, you know, and they probably would watch me and they'd go, what is the matter with that guy? <laughs> He's so fussy. <laughs> and he says, you be hospitable, but you do so without grumbling. 
And you know what? And we said this a couple of weeks ago, but we come back to this. In their world, this love and this hospitality thing, you realize how important that was when they were in a world that if you went back into chapter 2, this world was hostile towards them. It was ridiculing them. It was not treating them well. Where did you find camaraderie and love and some people that actually cared for you? The church. And so when you got together with those believers, they, we always got, God, just, I want a direct download from you, God, for everything I need here. And God's going, I sent three believers to you. <laughs> I sent three believers to you. But you want it, you, you want this here? I was like when you go over to Ephesians 4 and you have the gifts, he tells you that what you need from those gifts, he gives it not direct to you, he gives it from other believers flowing down through those all those connection points to you. This is one of the reasons we get together. This is one of the reasons you should be getting together with other believers, not just on a Sunday morning or not just on a Wednesday night, but when God gives you opportunities, get together. You need them, they need you. But he says, you can show hospitality, but don't grumble about it. And you probably don't grumble to them, you know? I, somebody, you come over to my house, I'm not going to go, ah, oh, man, you know how much work it was to have you guys here tonight. <sighs> you know, I'm not going to do that if I'm actually feel, thinking that way. But you know what? I might be grumbling inside my heart. So whether I'm grumbling in my heart or grumbling with my mouth, he says, do it without complaint or without grumbling. That's going to take, by the way, going back to love, that's going to take the fruit from the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, or joy. Actually entertaining and having people come in with joy rather than focusing on the hardship that it puts you through. So, when this is what he's talking about. Oh, I forgot. Here we had a whole slide on hospitality. There, But there we go. Now, he goes from there by the way, does anybody have a comment to throw in here? Something that like occurs to you? Because I'm looking at this and I, I just, I'm looking, I wouldn't have realized how practical this passage was for me personally until my family showed up and spent a couple weeks with us. And I was very, very thankful that they came and all this. I was thankful my wife spent so much time cooking and prepping food and getting everything ready and all, and I, I appreciated all of this. But it would come back that once in a while, my mind would start to kind of go, oh, oh, that, ah, oh, you know? And then you go, hey, I can remember who I am in Christ, part of the body of Christ, they're part of the body of Christ, and be hospitable without complaining, without grumbling. Then he goes on from there. As each one then has received a gift, the American Standard has added the word special gift, but just a gift. There's not a definite article in front of it. It's, uh, a, a, um, it's just a quality of gift. Uh, to minister it then as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And he says minister it. It's a singular pronoun, meaning you have a gift. God gave you a gift to serve. Every believer, when you, when you believe, received a gift to serve. Every one of you did. Some of those gifts aren't around anymore but there are still several that are around. And so we're going to, um, there we go. Okay. Had, the, had it in the, in the wrong place. Here's some gifts. Just a, a quick list of gifts. I don't know if you can see it, but I'm going to walk through these with you. I'm going to tell you the, the places you can find them. If you want to go look at these, you can go to 1 Corinthians, chap or first, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you can see over there, over there, he talks about faith. That's a gift. That's a gift. The church needs faith sometimes. Sometimes the, the church needs that special person that has a special ability with faith to see God's promise in helping the church move ahead when everybody else is kind of, their feet are stuck there and they're going, I don't know. I'm not for sure we can do this. Faith. There's teachers. There's teachers. I think we know what that is. Helps. When I left seminary, I thought helps were people that passed out bulletin, cleaned up in the church a little bit like that. But helps, I'm convinced, is a spiritual gift. In fact, I, I, I pointed ben, ben Fanning over here because the more I've watched him, I think Ben has a teaching gift, but I think his specifically helps. He's really good one-on-one. -on -one, and that's kind of what helps is they're the one, and, and Paul uses this imagery, they're the ones that take, shall we say, 
those people that are struggling, coming along behind, takes them by the hand and helps them along. You know why you need that? Because when you're moving a flock, the flock can only move as fast as its smallest or as its slowest member. Unless you want to just leave stragglers out there that eventually, and when you're talking sheep, they're not going to catch up. They're going to wander off and get lost and fall in a ravine and all kinds of stupid stuff that sheep have a tendency to do. I had a teacher when I was growing up that raised sheep. He was not a believer, but he would testify to the fact they got to be about the dumbest animals God put on the planet. That was his experience. He just could not believe all the problems that those sheep got into and how many stupid things that they would do. And they would go through it again and again. It's like, you guys haven't figured this out yet. So you gotta, sometimes you got to help some that are struggling. I'm not calling them stupid believers. I just was using that example of sheep. But you're bringing them along, and this is what helps does. Then they're steering. And I remember when Frank Samro was here and we were talking about it. It's the word used for a pilot of a ship. Now, a pilot of a ship is not the guy that out at sea is steering the ship. The pilot was the person that when you brought the ship in, he knows where the sandbars and where the channel is to bring the ship into harbor. So you've got people that have the ability to recognize, shall we say, dangers. Watch out for this. We're going to get stuck over here. And churches get stuck on spiritual sandbars because sometimes people don't stand up and go, wait a second, let's not go down that path. Let's not go over that path. And it's not that it's always necessarily that, oh, this is a bad thing in the sense it's wrong or unrighteous, but it's something that's going to get us stuck. And so you've got people with the gift of steering that kind of can keep us on there. Then we have over, now we move over from there. That second line starts over in Romans chapter 12. And in those gifts, gifts that still work today, we have the gift of serving, diakonia, common service. People that are just, they're willing to just, believers need help with the thing. They need, some, need someone to come over and clean their house. Help them maybe with little kids, whatever it is. Service. They're doing service to believers. They're attending now to some real basic needs that people have. Then we have the gift of encouragement. People that are there to say, hey, you know what? Did you sit in Jim's class? Did you see her, hear what he was talking about, how God works and what he did with respect to the Lord Jesus Christ? Did, did you see what you're going through right now? That passage he took us through today fits perfectly. You need to come on. Come on. Come on. That's, that's par kalao. You're calling it alongside. You're calling him to say, come on. Join. Join in here. And that's a gift of encouragement to encourage believers, pointing them to what we know from the word of God. Then there's a gift of giving. And, and he says over there, they do it with simplicity. You don't have to say, I would give, but I want a plaque. <laughs> no, you just give. You don't care. You see a need, and you address it with whatever God's given you. And a gift, that's a specific gift. Then there's organizing. That's not coming in and organizing Tim's office, which I would feel sorry for you if you had to do that. Not that it's a disaster, but it can get that way at times. That's not what this is talking about. This is, we've talked about before, is that believer that's able to look out there and say, Linda, you have this skill set or this gift, and Peggy over here has this need. Maybe you could go talk to her, because maybe Linda didn't see that need. And you've got that, those people that are directing the parts of the body into those specific needs. I had a question on this. They say, why would we need this gift if the Lord is directing? Well, because the Lord is directing the gifts of the body. But you know what? Do we always listen <laughs> to what he's trying to get to us? Trying to say, hey, this is what I want you to do. And so he's actually given a gift with a person that literally talks in your ear and says, hey, did you see that need over there? Then, and, and it can be... And, I've used it with spiritual gifts, but you, I would honestly say there's maybe another element of it. What if somebody comes along and say, hey, you know what, when you sit down at the table downstairs and you eat, did you ever notice that that person sits by themselves? I think that they would benefit from sitting and just visiting with you. That might not even be a spiritual gift matter. It's just taking time to go sit and eat your meal with them and talk with them for a little bit. Then we have the gift of mercy. Mercy addresses suffering. <laughs> There are people that are suffering in the body of Christ and they need someone to come along and we have that word with them. They're, they're cheering them. And I don't think they're cheering them by coming in and, and, and telling them dad jokes. 
I get these shorts on my YouTube feed that I love to watch every day. And sometimes I had a couple that I listened to last night after Peg fell asleep and I felt bad because I was laughing so hard in bed because I love dad jokes. They're stupid. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about actually helping those people view their suffering and their hardships, the things they're going through, through the lens of who they are as a Christian. Exactly what Peter's talking about in the larger, larger part of this book. You're going through hardship. People are treating you bad. People are calling you names. They're ridiculing you. And they're, 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 being, they're just being mean. And somebody can come along and say, hey, you remember who we are in Christ? So maybe they're physically suffering because they're sick. But maybe they're, they're going through emotional suffering. So mercy, that gift that can kind of help them with those things. Then the evangelist, which the only evangelist we have mentioned in the New Testament is Philip. And his evangelism involves telling unsaved people about the good news of Jesus Christ. But I'm inclined to wonder, because this is one of the gifts that is benefiting the body for its maturity, I think that there are also people that may just be proclaiming good news to believers too because there's good news for us. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're done with good news. And then we have the gift of shepherding that's tied with teaching down there. Those that are watching for spiritual dangers, that's different than watching for sandbars. They're actually watching for those that are going to teach false doctrine and going to take believers away and mess them up. And then they're leading by an example while they're also teaching you the word. And that's shepherding. So here's these, here's these set of gifts. You have one of those gifts. The best way to know what they are, just start serving in the body of Christ. And you're going to find, you're going to see some needs more than you're going to see others. So Peter is saying here in verse 10, as you've received that gift, exercise it or do it, serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Good, a steward is a manager. Meaning you're managing. God's entrusted you with the management or the exercise of this thing that he's put in your care, this gift. You do that with this manifold grace of God. Manifold is just a, it's an old word meaning diverse. God's grace is diverse or varied. He didn't give us all the same gift. He gave us each of these, one of these different gifts. And it's good because just like your body is varied, the role that my fingers have, are different than the role that my nose has. And can my nose do some things that my finger does? Yeah. You're going to think this is all really stupid, but I had my hands full of some stuff and I couldn't put them down and I had something on my phone and I'm trying to touch my phone to open this thing on the phone. <laughs> I'm glad Peggy wasn't watching me because she said, just put it, just put it down. <laughs> just put it down. But I tried. But you know what? The, the finger works a lot better, doesn't it? The finger, because that's what it, it's better at that. So there's, the bodies are diverse. There's a lot of things we can do, but your gift, it's going to be, you're going to do those things in a better way. And so he says here, he goes on there and he's going to give us two, two types of gifts. And those gifts essentially are going to break down into serving gifts and speaking gifts. Now, does that mean speaking speakers don't serve? No, they serve. But but they're going to open their mouths and say a lot more. And then you're going to have people that are going to be serving by doing things. So, so whoever speaks, and what he says about this guy, first of all, or these people, I should say, is as it were, the utterances of God. Now that word utterance, since in some of your Bibles are going to have the word oracles of God, that's the way they've taken it. But it's simply what it is. It's a diminutive form of the word word. It's the small words about God. I'm going to guarantee you that when we're done talking here about the church and these things, and when we're done talking about the glory of God, I am not going to have ex done an exhaustive study on the word of, um, on the idea of God's glory or on the church. In any believer, Josh, Josh told me this a couple years ago, which I really appreciated. Any believer that thinks that they're doing an exhaustive study on that topic is fooling themselves. We never do an exhaustive study. No matter how hard you try, you're going to study that thing. You're going to think that you've covered all your bases and God probably lets you a week later when you're all done and you put the final T on it and you put print on your printer and print it off and stick it in your file cabinet. It's going to come back and you're going to go, oh, boy, I missed that verse. How did I miss that verse? And that's just one of many that you're going to come to on a subject matter. So when you speak, one of the things, there's two things about this idea for those of you that speak. 
teaching the word of God, gift of helps as we were looking at, um, or, or perhaps even the gift of encouragement in this, but that when you're talking to, to other believers, number one, always realize that what you're saying is a word from God. If I get up here and I just give you my opinion or all I do is stitch together a bunch of hilarious stories or do Jim Gaffigan impressions, we were talking to our family down there about Josh. He's been really good about not doing it, but he used to do it once in a while and Peg and I are having a tough time cracking up. If that's all, and he didn't, he, he did a lot, Josh did great Bible teaching, but I'm just saying, there's some pastors, there's some pastors that I've grown up listening to when I was a kid Everybody loved to hear that guy talk. He was great. But you know, when you look, listen to him, it's like, he didn't really say anything. He had a verse and then he ran up and he told all these stories and had people in stitches and then had them crying and all this stuff back and forth. But it was all him. When you teach the word of God, you want it to be communicating what's there. Your authority does not lie with you. It lies here. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. Go to verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and, and Christ and of presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge the living, who is to judge the living. I don't know I can read today, and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the world or Herald it authoritatively. The word there for that word preach means you communicate the authority of the word of God. That's what you're there. You're not there to say, hey, he told me to say this, but I think I could doctor that a little bit. No, you just present the authority that you were charged to say, give. This was in their culture. This was true with people that went and made official announcements on behalf of, of, of rulers and such. So preach the word or communicate it authoritatively. Be ready when it's seasonable, when it's unseasonable. So number one, your authority needs to come from the word of God, but you also need to keep doing it even when you don't have a whole audience going, yes, amen, oh, God is great. When everybody's sitting there going, ah, this is not that exciting. This is not that good. Is when they're seasonable or unseasonable. Re reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not put up with healthy, and that word for doctrine there is for doctrine from the Old Testament. They're going to want you to tell them how to be a great Daniel or a great David. And you need to be able to say, no, let's go look at what God's given us for Christian living over here. Yeah, we can go study David but I'm going to tell you that our life is not characterized by the character of David. God has something different for us today. And so they won't put up with that and they will have their, and they want to have their ears tickled and they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And that word accumulate in the New American standard, it's really interesting because in the Greek, it's a, it's the word meaning to heap up in piles. You go out the end of road 13 out here right now and they took that Benjamin place and they bulldozed and you've got all those piles of the remnants of the house and the remnants of the junk that was there and the remnants of the trees and it's piles. He says that's what they're going to... In other words, there are so many teachers out there. Teachers. Christian teachers. Putting that in quotes because some of them maybe are, some of them aren't. But you know what? They're going to speak and say the kind of things that people want to hear. That's what they want. They want that kind of teaching. Give me a 10-minute vignette. 10 minutes in, Tim's just getting started. Jim's just getting warmed up. Josh hasn't even got off his first line on his notes. You know, <laughs> you know what it's like here. It's like, but that's what they want. And they want it humorous. And they want it, he says, they, they don't want that. And they want to find out that they can be a great Daniel. And he says they're going to pile them up in teachers. In other words, one of the things that should tell you is, guess what? The teachers that are most abundant within the church or that influence churches are teachers that don't handle the word correctly. Because if they can heap them up in piles, that means there has to be a lot of them. So go back over there to 1 Peter chapter 4. When you are speaking, you're speaking authoritatively, you're speaking the word of God, and you're handling it carefully and accurately, and you're not just going with what's popular right now. You're going to do 
what the Holy Spirit is directing you to do as a believer in handling the Word of God to communicate it for the benefit of people. But you're also looking at it, it's just small words. I'm not going to tell you everything that there is to say on this. I'm going to tell you what God wants me to say. I've made the mistake, and some of you know this sometimes, that I get so wrapped up in a study that that study just goes on and on over this one little thing, and I just keep doing this and keep doing this. And sometimes in the middle of that, I really feel prompted that God wants us to deviate, and we need to be de dealing with this. This is a good study, but these people need this thing over there. They don't need you just to do this endlessly. They need this other too. And I've had that. And some of you have been here with at times when we've actually paused a study and we've gone and spent a month or a month and a half chasing down a completely different study because I'm convinced that God wants us to bring that in. And you need to know this. So he says you're, you're communicating this small words of God. And that small words is not a negative idea. It's just reminding you. It's God's word, but you're only saying that little bit that you as one human being can provide. Then he goes on. And he talks about the next people. He says, and those serving one another, uh, excuse me, uh, and those who serve by the strength which God supplies. Well, here, here's, here's an example on serving. We can think of different examples of serving. Let's talk about giving as an example, giving. Because that's a type of service gift. You can give, and every week you can go back there, and you can take your cash or your check or whatever you do, or, and you can give that to the church because that's just duty. Or you could do it out of love. And John tells us, and I want you to go over and look at this, but turn over in 1 John. I know you guys have seen this many times, but 1 John chapter 3 as an example of this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 he says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. How do you do that? Well, whoever has the world's goods, the things of this bios pertaining to the world, what, what's, what do you need for bios life, for bio, bio, biological life in this world? You need clothing and you need food, right? James tells us that in James 2. That's the essentials what you need. And you see your brother has a real need. But you close up your heart or that strong gut feeling. Oh, I'm not going to help them with that. And I don't know about you, but when I do that, I can always rationalize that going, well, I don't think they'd have that need if last month they hadn't wasted their money doing that. <laughs> None of you have ever thought like that, but I definitely have at times. He says, how does the love of God abide in him? So then he goes, so little children. He's talking to the, to the young believers, the spiritually young believers. They're the ones that are especially struggling with this. Fathers aren't having a problem with this. They know what they're doing, but these young, these young ones, they're struggling. He says, let us not love in word or tongue. Or as James puts it in James chapter 2, be warmed and be filled. Oh, that does the trick. And have you ever tried to lose weight? Don't raise your hand. I have. If all you did was go in, you know, I had a bite of lettuce. Oh, I'm full. Just tell yourself you're full. Mm. Oh, that works. No, it doesn't. If all you had to do is say, be warmed and be filled, you know, we could all live out in the winter. We wouldn't have to own houses. We wouldn't have to have all kinds of warm clothes. and We wouldn't have to eat. But we need those things. And he says, don't let us love in word or in tongue, but in work. We get that. Use what you have to meet those needs. That's what he's talking about. But then the next part, and in truth. Why does he say in truth? He doesn't say in the truth. He says in truth. Because you can learn what giving to the needs of believers should look like. And you can go through the motions of doing that. But it's not real. Do we have an example of that in the Bible? We've got a husband and wife. Back in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. What happened to those two? They died. Forgiving with the wrong motive. <laughs> that shows you how serious God takes things like that. I think they actually died, not just because of the wrong motive, but because it could have set up a precedent that a lot of other people go, oh, we could, we could give and make people think we gave a lot more than we actually did. <laughs> like that. And that would be lying and setting a bad example. 
he's, what he's getting at here and it's reminding us is that when you serve, you do it from the power that God gives you. If you go back over there to 1 Peter chapter 4, when you serve other believers, we used an example of giving, but there'd be all kinds of service. You could go through the motions. Somebody needs help fixing something on their house as a believer. They're, they got a window that's leaking. You have a skill set that you could do that. Or you have the gift of service that goes, I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to figure out how to do that to help this person. And you could go over there and you could do it out of love, but you could also do it going, well, I want people to pat me on the back. And I want people to think that I'm good. And I don't want people to think that I'm a sluggard. I want people to think that ah, he's, a good, he's a good Christian. But he says, no, you do it, and you do it by the power God supplies. And that power is going to be in here. He's not giving you power here that, oh, God's going to give me power, and I can hold, rather than pushing over the pillars on the front of your house, I can hold those pillars together while Dwight screws some supports in there so they don't collapse. That's not where you're going to get the power. You're going to get the power in the inner man. Power to actually really love those people while you serve and help out in that need, whatever that need is. Like I said, maybe fixing a window, even though you don't know how. I have no idea how to fix a window. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out for you. Because God put that need in front of me. So he's going there. He says, let it be with that strength which God supplies. And he says, what you're doing this, when we think about this, you're doing this, so he says, that God might be glorified. Now let's, let's, in case we have forgotten, this started off with talking about believers that are being under persecution. And under persecution, it's easy for you just to kind of sit on your hands. And so if you're a person that speaks, it's easy just to not talk anymore. And not really, not really teach the Bible, not handle people, not share God's truth with other people, depending on how you speak. And sit on your spiritual hands. Or maybe you've got these needs and it's like, man, it's hard. It's hard enough to, to have time to do all the things I need to take care of myself. I'd love to help you. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to do it right now. He says, no, if you do it by the strength that God supplies, if you speak, remembering that this is the word of God, what you're doing, he says, God's actually glorified in, in that. So I'm going to go back as we close here. In other words, that still applies to us today even if you're not under persecution, doesn't it? It's still, those, those are still the things. It's just that persecution makes it easy to neglect those. But I want to come back to part of Dan's testimony last week that I really appreciated. Jesus Christ told the disciples in John 13, I've got a new commandment for you, that you're going to love one another like I've loved you. And then he says in the next verse, in verse 35, by this shall all know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Do those believers know what agape love is? No, they don't understand agape love. It's God's kind of, they don't get, they don't get any of that. But do they have some concept of what love is? Yeah, they do. And they watch believers loving each other. And it says something to them. And God can, it doesn't do it for everybody out there, but there's some of those people that watch that. I can guarantee you. There, I can guarantee because I've had, you probably may have heard this too, and you because you may not always think about this, but if this church, when we are meeting and when we're doing things together as believers, we have a testimony in this community. I hope it's a good testimony. I know there's times it has been. If there are things that have been bad testimonies, I don't always hear about those. I think some people are afraid to in your face go, why did you, you know, but I have had people go, why do you do this? Why do you guys get together every, every Wednesday night and eat? There are people that know that we do that. And I'm not, put, I'm not walking around downtown. I don't know, Josh, at the store, do you put on a tag going, Wednesday, Wednesday nights, our church always has supper together. You wear a tag? No, we don't have, we have we're doing that. But there's people that know that this is going on. And they've asked me downtown, why do you guys do that? And I said, because we're part of the body of Christ. We've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want, we want opportunities to love each other. And to spend time together. And they're saying, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And then, you, and then you say, but it comes back to this. And you go and you're walking through the gospel. And sometimes they're like, hmm, I don't have to think about that. Sometimes they're just like, oh, oh and just, <laughs> they don't pay any more attention. But the point is, your actions doing these things, serving in this way, is saying something to people out there, whether you know it, whether it ever gets back to you or not, a lot of it never gets back to me, 
But I have had a few instances in which I've had people ask those questions. There are opportunities for me. I take those opportunities to share the gospel. But do you remember last week when Dan was sharing his testimony? His parents, who were not really religious, they weren't church-going people, God used the love of the people from their church for Chris and Dan when their twins were born and the one twin passed away and the other son was li lived and was hospitalized from February well into May. He used that love to impress Dan's parents. They had not witnessed that before. They had not witnessed people taking the time and helping them out. And it made an impression. And God used that to bring his parents to faith in Christ. Your love, serving your gift, thinking about other believers, whether it's hard, like they were going through, or for us, let's face it, quite a bit easier than that. Jim was used to that example downstairs. He may have been mistreated by some bosses, but it's nothing like what Paul ever went through, as Jim said. Not like that. You stop and you think about how easy it is and yet how easy it is sometimes for us just to kind of let that stuff drift on by and we miss that opportunity like that. We can take those opportunities to serve. And God's reputation, his character, his opinion of who he is, is made visible to people by our actions. Father, we're thankful for the time you've given us together today. Thankful for the attention of these dear saints, but most of all, thankful for the fact that in your plan and purpose here in the body of Christ, you have chosen to include us in what you are doing. It's just amazing. You, you could do all of these things with the body of Christ so much more efficiently than working through us that we hem and haw and drag our feet and, and sometimes are just inattentive but you have chosen by your grace, this, these gifts are things of grace, you've chosen to allow us to participate in what you're accomplishing. So help us as believers to have a proper saved frame of mind, to be sober and to worship, to extend ourselves in hospitality and extend ourselves in love and to use our gifts for the benefit of other saints around us, whether they're the saints right here, or the saints that we might meet in other places. So we thank you for these opportunities and being part of your plan. In your son's name, amen.